Take your Bibles and turn with us to John chapter 16. John chapter 16. Let's begin reading in verse 5. But now I go my way, Jesus was speaking. Now I go my way to him that sent me, and none of you asketh me, whither goest thou? But because I have said these things unto you, sorrow hath filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin, because they believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. Of judgment, because the prince of this world is judged. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he, he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. All things that the Father hath, hath are mine, therefore have I, have I, therefore said I that he, that he shall take of mine, and shall show it unto you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the word of God. I know, Lord, when it comes to subjects about you, that this is our only source of truth, is the word of God. And you've written about yourself, and we thank you for that. Help us as we look into this subject of your Holy Spirit today, and give us guidance and understanding, and I pray that your spirit might speak to hearts today of Christians, that you might challenge us to be more what we should be, and those who are not saved yet, Lord, that they might come to know Jesus as their Savior. We commit the preaching to you and ask for your guidance and your help, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we conclude our series that we've been preaching on our great God, today we come to the subject of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. For some, this subject brings up uncomfortable feelings, which are fostered by incorrect teachings about the Holy Spirit. As a child, I can remember going to a church. It was my grandmother's church, I believe, and I was pretty little. But some of the things that went on there sort of frightened me, and I didn't understand them all. In some circles, the Holy Spirit is credited with doing things that he does not do. Uh, For example... Rolling in the aisles, I saw that as a child, and sometimes it's sort of embarrassing with women who with have dresses on, you know, rolling in the aisles. That's supposed to be the spirit making them do that. I just don't believe that's right. Slaying in the spirit, some of you have heard that. You've seen preachers who slap somebody in the forehead and they fall back, and they're, we're supposed to believe that's the spirit of God doing that. That's not shown anywhere in the scripture. Also, uncontrolled and not understood utterances that do not edify. Movings in a service that are not becoming to God. I can remember my wife and I, we we were too poor when we got married to have a a honeymoon. So it was about a month later we took a honeymoon and somebody gave us a free cabin in Kentucky back in the mountains. And uh, when we got there, it was at night and it was so foggy you couldn't hardly see 10 feet in front of you. And we hoped that we had the right cabin in fact, but we got there, and the only way I knew for sure it was the right cabin, the door, the key fit the door. <laughs> and we got into that cabin and found there were no curtains anywhere. 
And so uh, it was quite an experience. But we only had a weekend to enjoy there. But on Sunday, we went to church, and we saw this church not far from there. And so Evelyn and I decided we'd go to church there. And we got there, and, and the front door was open, and we looked, and they were handling rattlesnakes. And I thought, no, don't want to be here. And many times those kind of things are accredited to the Holy Spirit. I was at a revival meeting one time many years ago in West Virginia. And it was a church I knew. I'd preached there before. But they had this speaker there, and he was preaching. And he was encouraging people to deal with things in their life, secret things in their life, and said, if you have had a bad thought or grudge against your neighbor, walk across the aisle and tell him that and apologize to him. Well, first of all, if your neighbor doesn't even know about it, why tell him? (laughs) Confess it to God. (laughs) But in in that climate of all that was going on that day, a man stood back in the back of the church, and he stood up and he says, I want to apologize to my wife. And said... um, I've had impure thoughts toward a woman at work, and I realize that's very wrong, and I want to tell her I'm sorry. And then somebody, I think it was the preacher, said, the Spirit's moving. Let me tell you something. That was not the Spirit. (laughs) If you have impure thoughts about somebody and only you and God know about it, don't destroy your wife's uh, uh, thoughts about you by telling her about it. Tell God about it. He's the only one that knows. Let him take care of it and confess it and get it right. God doesn't cause us to do things like that. And so after that service, they had a burning. I'm not opposed to burning. Some books need to be burnt, and the Bible gives us uh, some references of that. But they had a burning, and they encouraged little kids to burn their unicorns, their stuffed unicorns, you know. Women were burning their slacks, and uh, just different things like that. And it just seemed like it just didn't fit, and I couldn't agree that the Spirit was causing all that to happen. But sometimes things like that happen. But I remind you, the Bible has some, some instructions about that. It's found in 1 Corinthians 14. It says, this, let this, it says this, let all things be done unto edifying. That means building up. Chapter 14, verse 33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Chapter 14, verse 40 says, Let all things be done decently and in order. And then in chapter 13, the love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, Love doth not behave itself unseemly. And unseemly means unbecoming. In other words, unbecoming of God. Would God do this? (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's unbecoming. And it says, true love does not behave itself unseemly. Now, some of this is fostered, I believe, by uh, misunderstandings about what the Bi- how the Bible translates the uh, Holy Spirit. It's true that the Bible in the New Testament translates Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. And you'll read in your King James Version, uh, Holy Ghost. It's 90 times in the New Testament says Holy Ghost. Five times it says Holy Spirit. And some would say, well, it's more spiritual to say Holy Ghost. Let me remind you of something. The Greek word there is the same word. Every time it's the same word. Holy Spirit. Pneuma. It's the word for wind or breath. And it's the Holy Spirit. And so God wants us to realize that. And in the original language, in the Greek, he put it that way. So there's no difference between those. So there's nothing magical about the word ghost or magical about the word spirit. It just means the holy holy breath or Holy Spirit of God. 
So we need to understand that as we approach this subject. But let's look at some things about the subject of the, of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. I've given you an outline. It's in your bulletins. And I'd like for you to follow it, and then maybe you can take it home and study a little bit further. I've condensed it some because the first two points, I haven't put anything under them. I will give those to you this morning, but for lack of space and time, I, I just didn't do that. But the other, the other part of it, I did. First of all, the Holy Spirit is a person. We have to understand the Spirit of God is not a force. It's not an, imper- an impersonal force, you know, uh, like the force is with you. It's not, nothing like that. He is a person. The Bible refers to him with a masculine pronoun. In John 15, verse 26, it says, The Comforter will come, the Spirit of truth, and he shall testify of me. He. John 16, verses 7 and 8, I will send him unto you, and, he, and when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, of, of righteousness, and of judgment. Also, he has, personal, he has marks of personality. A true person you know, has marks of personality. Let's consider some of those. He has life. The Bible refers to him in John 8, verse 2, the spirit of life. He has intelligence. Uh, Romans chapter, I mean, that was Romans 8, verse 2. Romans 8, verse 27, the mind of the spirit. He has personal will, 1 Corinthians 2. The spirit dividing to every man severally as he wills. The spirit gives gifts to people as he wills. So he has a will. He is a person. He is active. He speaks. The Bible says in Acts chapter 8, verse 29, Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. So he speaks. He makes intercession for believers. Romans 8, The Spirit himself maketh intercession for us according to the will of God. So he's so real, he actually prays for us. That's an interesting. We'll look at that a little bit later. He also teaches, John 14, verse 26, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, he shall teach you and bring all things to your remembrance. The Holy Spirit is our teacher. 1 Corinthians 2, now we have received the Spirit, which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given us of God, which things the Holy Ghost teacheth. So the Holy Spirit teaches you things. If you want to know the Word of God and you're a Christian, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God can teach you the Word of God. And that it, it's good to have uh, personal teachers, you know, men who teach, and the Bible's for that, but also the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you teaches you. He is a person. He leads you and guides you. Romans eight fourteen. for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He calls and commissions men to service. I believe he called me to be a pastor, and uh, he commissioned me to do that. The Bible says in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, the Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. Acts chapter 20, verse 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseer. Paul was talking to the elders, the pastors of the churches at Ephesus. And he says, take heed, the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, has made you pastors over those flocks. Take heed to that. The Holy Spirit gave you that job. He reproves the world of sin, of righteousness and judgment, we're told in John 16, verse uh, verse 8. We read that a while ago. He's not just a force. He is a person. But more than that, he's not just a person. He's God. He's God. Now, we studied as we were in this this series on uh, our great God, we studied the Trinity one, one Sunday and gave you a lot of information the Bible says about the Trinity. 
And uh, even after you miss, listen to that message, you won't understand all the thing about the Trinity because I preached it and I still don't understand everything about the Trinity. It, that's God. And he's one God eternally existing in three persons. And that's the teaching of the Word of God. But the Holy Spirit is God. He is called God. Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4. The Bible says that Ananias and Sapphira, remember his wife, they, they lied and said they gave a certain amount to the church, what they really didn't. Or they said they, they gave the full amount of the land that they sold. They gave it to the church. They wanted to be like Barnabas. But they held back part of it. Nobody knew it but them and God. <laughs> And uh, Peter says this, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? And then he said, thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. The Holy Spirit is God. And so he's a person, he is God. He has divine attributes. The Bible says he's eternal. Hebrews 9, 14, he's the eternal spirit. He's omnipresent. Uh, Psalm 139, Where, whether shall I go from thy spirit? Whether shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Everywhere you go, God is. And that's, he says, where shall I go from my, thy spirit? The Holy Spirit is, is omnipresent, just like God, because he is God. He's also omnipotent. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, uh, Mary said, uh, Lord said, you're going to have a child. She says, how can this be? I've never been with a man. And then he explained, the Holy Ghost shall overshadow thee, the power, come upon thee. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. That which is conceived in you shall be born, shall be conceived of the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on to say, with God, nothing shall be impossible. So this can't happen. It's not possible. No, the Holy Spirit can do the impossible. And so he is God. He's also omniscient. The Bible refers to him in John 16, verse 13, as the spirit of truth. He's omniscient. It says that the Lord is, is the God of truth. He knows everything, and he reveals things to us because he knows everything. And the Holy Spirit's ministry then, let's look at that, and that's on your, on your sheet, the Holy Spirit's ministry, and I've given you some detail there. First of all, his work in relation to creation. You can see the Holy Spirit at work back at creation, the very beginning of everything, not the beginning of him because he always has been. God is eternal. He's always been. Never had a beginning, never will have an end. But at the, cre at the creation, Genesis 1 verse 2 says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void and darkness upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So the Holy Spirit was there in creation. God the Father was there. God the Holy Spirit was there. God the Son was there. He's called the Creator God. And God was there at creation, and He did it all. And so the Spirit of God worked at creation. His work also in relation to Scripture. He is the author of Scripture. 2 Peter 1 verse 21 says... For the prophecy came not of old time by the, men of, by, by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Some people make the mistake in saying Paul was inspired. No, Paul wasn't inspired. They'll say Peter was inspired to preach that message. No, Peter wasn't inspired. The word inspired means God-breathed. Peter wasn't God-breathed. But what Peter wrote and what Paul wrote was God-breathed. And all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God-breathed. So they were moved along by the Spirit 
the Spirit was working with them, and what they wrote down was the breath of God. So this is the breath of God. This is inspired. The men were moved along by the Holy Spirit, so what they wrote was the breath of God. So he's the author of Scripture. He's also the interpreter of Scripture. John 16 says, The Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth, and he shall not speak of himself. He shall show you things to come, and he shall glorify me. Therefore, you need to be leery about services that concentrate only on the Holy Spirit and talk only on the Holy Spirit because the Bible says the Holy Spirit always points, points attention to Jesus and it glorifies Jesus. And so, uh, but he's the one who teaches us and guides us and he's the interpreter of Scripture. He, his work in relation to unbelievers. Now, this is very important. How does God work in relation to unbelievers? Some of you here today might be an unbeliever. That means you have never come to faith in Jesus Christ. You've never personally trusted him as your Savior. Nothing wrong with that. That's what I used to be one time. And all of us who are saved used to be the same way. And so if you've never been saved, don't be ashamed of that because you can be saved. But uh, God has a work. The Holy Spirit has a work with unbelievers. Well, what does he do? Well, I believe the first reference to that is probably back in the book of Genesis chapter 6. And, and the Lord was telling how bad things were before the flood. And then it says this, the Lord said, my spirit shall not always strive with man. There was once some way that God was striving with man. I believe today that's like we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And the Lord uses the presence of Christians sometimes to rebuke those who are doing wrong and they don't like it because we're trying to, we're pointing out this is wrong. And so the Lord in that way is working with those people. And so he strives with men. In Romans chapter 1, we find the, the account of the ungodly and how they rebel against God and they don't care and they don't regard God in their thoughts at all. And so finally God gives them up to a reprobate mind and they do foolish things. And part of those foolish things in that passage is homosexuality. And God says as the result of a reprobate mind, God gave them up to bad things. And God didn't say, I'm just not going to work with you anymore. You want to go that way, you go that way. And so, but up, up to that time, the Lord strives with people. He strives with people by his creation. Uh, I mean, you can tell there's a God. <laughs> I mean, there's no way to explain all this magnificence in, in that there's a God. The other night, my wife and I were traveling back. We'd been out towards the fields early away, and we were traveling back, and it was toward the evening, and we came in tomorrow, and the moon was huge. <laughs> I mean, it's the same size it always is, but it just, it looked so huge, and it was so beautiful. And I told my wife, I said, you know what? I'd rather look at that than the, uh, the best fireworks display ever. <laughs> it just showed the glory of God. It was so beautiful. And I, as a Christian, understood that. Well, even unsaved people can see God is great. God is mighty. And so God is working with them. And uh, he, he strives with them. But sometimes they just say, no, I don't want anything to do with that. I, I, I don't believe that. Uh, it's just all chance. We got here by evolution and all that. Well, that's not true. We got here by creation. And so the Lord strives with man. But also he convicts people by his word. The Bible says in John chapter 16, we read it a while ago, the comforter will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. The, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, will reprove. He'll convince the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because you don't believe on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father. And uh, of judgment. 
And so the Holy Spirit uh, works with people's lives and helps them to realize, look, you are a sinner. God demands righteousness and judgment is coming. And the Holy Spirit works in your heart as an unbeliever to convince you of that. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, Peter was preaching. And Peter preached. And when he preached, it says they were pricked in their heart and said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were pricked in their heart. If God's dealing with you and you're not saved, and you feel this uneasiness down inside and a conviction down inside, and God is wooing you to himself, don't take that lightly. That's God working in your heart. I thank the Lord that he's patient. He started working with me that way when I was 13 years old, a professing Christian, a member of a church and all that. But he began to convict my heart that I wasn't really saved. I was too proud to admit it. Went for nine years until I finally trusted the Lord. I'm thankful that he was long-suffering. But all that time, he worked in my heart. He convicted me. And so the Lord will do that to you if you're unsaved. You hear the message, and God starts working your heart. Understand that it's the Holy Spirit who's working there. You remember Paul, the Lord met Paul on the road to Damascus. Paul was a Jew, a leader of the Jews. And he's been preaching and preaching against Jesus. And these new people, or this new faith had come along, and they were trusting Jesus as their Savior. And he didn't believe all that stuff, and he preached against it. And he threw people in jail because they were believing it. And he had some killed, like he held the cloaks as they stoned Stephen, the first Christian martyr, to death. So he was on his road to Damascus with orders to arrest some Christians. And the Lord met him on the road to Damascus, and he said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Now, Saul was persecuting Christians, but if you persecute Christians, you're persecuting God. He said, why persecutest thou me? And Paul said, uh, Saul said, who are, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And he said this, it is hard for you to kick against the pricks. And the word pricks means goads, like you're using oxen out in the field and you goad them, you know, you stick them so they'll keep on going. And the Holy Spirit was goading Paul. And every Christian that witnessed, he was against him, but he felt something down inside that maybe wasn't doing what was right. And the Lord convicted him. And the, and, and, and the Lord said to Paul, or to Saul at that time, he became Paul. He said, it's hard for you to kick against those goads. Some of you today might be experiencing that. And you're fighting against this being a Christian. What's happening? The Holy Spirit is goading you. And he's convicting you. And that's what he does. That's his ministry to unsaved people. But then let's go to the next thing. His work in relation to believers. What does God do through the Holy Spirit in relation to us as, as believers? First of all, the moment you got saved, it was the Holy Spirit who borned you again. The Bible says, you remember in John chapter 3, you must be born again. And Nicodemus didn't understand that. And so the Lord went on to describe what, what you need to do. And John 3.16 is in that context. And For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you truly believe in him, you surrender to him, and you trust him as your personal Savior, and you believe in that he died for you, and that he rose again the third day, and you want him to be your personal Savior. And the Lord says, if you do that, you'll never, never perish. But... Up to that point, you're listening to the message, you're hearing the message, and finally you believe. And what takes place? Once you believe, the Holy Spirit 
borns you again. He makes you a new creature. You're born again. It's a spiritual birth. And so that takes place the moment you're saved. He indwells the believer then. And I believe the scripture teaches that when you get saved, the Holy Spirit of God moves inside of you. You might say, well, what's, why is it necessary to uh, study the Holy Spirit? Well, he lives inside of you. That's one reason you should understand him. He lives inside of you as a Christian. And that's, that's true. He lives inside of you. God and the person, the Holy Spirit, lives inside of every person. So we're actually called the temple of God. The Bible says in John 14, Jesus was speaking. He said, the spirit of truth dwelleth with you up to this point, but he shall be in you. And after Pentecost, that happened, and all believers were actually indwelt by the spirit of God. 1 Corinthians 3.16, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwelleth in you. He's talking to carnal Christians in Corinth. I mean, they're truly Christians, but they're not living the way they should. And he says, don't you know that the Spirit of God lives in you? 1 Corinthians 6, 19. What? Know ye not that that your bodies are the temple of God which is in you? And you're bought with a price? Don't you know that? And they were living in sin. Some of them were committing fornication. And, and, And Paul says, look, don't you understand that God lives inside of you? You're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says this, Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Some people believe, you know, that uh, there's a second work of grace. They call it that you get saved and later you get the Holy Spirit. You know, the Bible says you, you receive the Holy Spirit the moment you're saved. He moves inside of you. In fact, Romans says if you don't have the Spirit of God, you're none of his. So there's no such thing as a Christian who hasn't yet received the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you're none of His. So the Christian is indwelt by the the Spirit of God. He also seals the believer. The seal is is a sign of authenticity. I mean, this one, like the the, uh, uh, Reds broadcaster used to say, this one belongs to the Reds. When the Lord saves somebody, He says, this one belongs to me. And I'm going to put my seal on him. And that is, I'm giving him my Holy Spirit. And that, my Holy Spirit will stay with him forever. And he's sealed uh, by the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1, in whom also after when you, or when you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 4, verse 30, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of redemption. That's the day of redemption of our body. We get our brand new glorified body and we're with the Lord. And the Lord says you're sealed. He also baptizes you in the body of Christ. When you get saved, you're baptized into the body of Christ. That's not physical baptism. That's spiritual baptism. And we need to distinguish those things. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, For by one spirit are you all baptized into one body. And then verse verse 27 clarifies what that body is. And that is, says, the body of Christ, and that is the church. The true church, not Sugar Run Valley Baptist Church. I mean, it's good to be a member of the Sugar Run Valley Baptist Church. But when God saves you, he baptizes you into his body, which is the church, the, the, the body of Christ that exists all over the world. Everybody who knows Christ is in that body. And the Lord, in a, in a wonderful way, takes his spirit and he baptizes you into the body of Christ. You're put in God's body. Now, after salvation, 
And on your notes, you have that. What about after salvation? Once you're saved and all this happens, you know, he indwells you, he seals you, and, uh, and uh, he baptizes you into his body and all of that. Then the Lord begins a work in you. And the Bible says he fills the believer. Sometimes there's misunderstanding about filling of, of, of the Spirit. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, verse 8, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What does wine do? It controls a person. And the Lord says, don't let wine control you. But he says, be controlled by the Spirit of God. I believe that's explained in the book of Romans and chapter 6. And that is that we're, that we're to yield to the Spirit of God. So really, being filled by the Spirit of God is letting the Spirit of God control your life. Yield to His Spirit. You see, if you're a Christian, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now, if He lives inside of you, He's going to say something. To, some, he has something to say about how you live. And so if you start to do something and you know it's not right and you feel really bad about it, what's, what's making you feel that bad? It's the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you, who's not comfortable around those things. And he's making you, he's convicting you as a Christian. That's not right. And so the Lord says, uh, don't let that happen. You yield to the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God control your life. And when you do that, you're filled by the Spirit. You're controlled by the Spirit. That's what that means. Now, that can happen many times in your Christian life. It can happen over a long period of time where you're always doing what God wants you to do and you're submitting to him. And then sometimes you get a little lax and, and uh, you, you don't do that. And so you're not controlled by the Spirit of God. And then you start being controlled again. Christians can fluctuate that way. So filling of the Holy Spirit is something that uh, the Lord, we need. And that is we need to be controlled by the Spirit. There's an interesting thing in the Bible, and that is the Lord tells us to be filled with the Spirit. But he never commands us to be baptized in the Spirit, and he never commands us to be indwelt by the Spirit. Why is that? Because he does that. (laughs) But you have something to say about control of the Spirit. Be ye filled with the Spirit. Christians who are indwelt by the Spirit, who've been baptized in the body of Christ, you're a member of his body, Christians... I want you to submit to the Spirit of God that lives in you. That's filling of the Spirit. And so that's the ministry of of the Spirit to believers. Also, he leads and teaches believers. We referenced this a little bit earlier. Romans chapter 8, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. And so you're trying to make a decision what to do, and you pray about it. And the Lord seems to impress upon you, this is the right thing to do. I always encourage people to go by the peace principle. If you're bothered about something, don't do it. (laughs) Because if you pray and ask the Lord for his will, if it's his will, he'll give you peace. And you'll not be all troubled about it. And so if you have a big decision to make and you've got to make some decision, but you're troubled about this, but I'm going to do it anyway, don't do that. (laughs) Because the Holy Spirit will guide you. And he'll give you the peace that you need when that time comes. So he teaches us. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 13, the Holy Ghost teacheth. So he teaches us. He also gives spiritual gifts to the believer. We find this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's various lists of spiritual gifts to the believer. I believe some are permanent and some are not permanent. And I think some have ceased. Uh, For example, prophecy. 
The Bible says we're built upon the foundation of the, prof- the apostles and prophets. No more apostles, no more prophets. The foundation has been laid. So I don't believe in people saying, I'm a prophet. I'm not a prophet. I'm a preacher of God's word. Nothing new is revealed to me. If I ever get up in the morning on Sunday morning and say, I have a new revelation from God, you just vote me out, okay? You'd be doing me a favor because I'd be disobeying God. I don't have new revelation from God. It's all right here in the word of God. I'm to preach the word, not try to get more word. I'm to preach the word. And so some gifts are temporary, I believe. And when the scripture was complete, they phased away. And some of those... Some of that, that happened. But spiritual gifts, God gives to every believer a spiritual gift. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4. Now these are the, there are diversities of gift. That means all kinds of gift. And the Spirit divideth to every man as he wills. So God wills to give you a certain gift. I had a principal one time at a Christian school in West Virginia, and we, we were dealing with a student, and uh, he was wanting to go one way, and I was wanting to go the other way, and and when we got through and made the decision, he looked at me and he said, Pastor, I think you have the gift of mercy. <laughs> because he's wanting to, you know, come down on the guy. <laughs> and I wanted to be a little bit more merciful. And not long ago, I met him and we talked about that. And uh, some of us do, you know. But that gives stability in the church. And God makes some people really strong about something and some with the gift of mercy. And there's a gift of giving. And you know, there's a gift, I believe, of encouraging one another. And it's all kind of gifts, and the Lord will give you some gift if you're a Christian. And so the believer has a spiritual gift. And after you get saved, God gives you a spiritual gift. He also comforts and strengthens the believer. In John chapter 14, he says, the comforter is coming. The Holy Spirit is coming. He's another comforter. I'm a comforter, but he's coming because I'm leaving. He's another comforter. And so he'll comfort you, and he'll strengthen you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 says, Strengthen with might by his Spirit in the inner man. God will strengthen us. Sometimes we go through troubles that are just more than we can handle, and we ask the Lord for strength, and he gives us that strength. How is that happening? The Holy Spirit of God, who's very close because he lives inside of you, is giving you strength to handle the problem that you're going through. And that's a ministry of the Holy Spirit. He also gives assurance to the believer. Romans chapter 8, verse 16, The Spirit himself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Before I got saved, truly saved, I'd made a profession when I was little, but before I got saved at at 22 years old, I was hard-headed and I started being convicted about as 13, but I was 22 before I really got saved. But before I got saved, I had all these doubts, all these doubts, and they just wouldn't go away. And I'd pray to the Lord, and I'd say, Lord, if I'm not saved, save me. God didn't want to hear that. God wanted me to admit what I was. And I hadn't truly put my faith and trust in what Jesus did for me on the cross of Calvary. And so he didn't give me peace. But, you know, once I trusted the Lord as my Savior, there's never been any of that. I just know I belong to the Lord. Why is that? Because the Holy Spirit of God who moved inside of me bears witness with my spirit that I'm a child of God. Now, I'm I'm not saying that a true believer can't have some doubts. You can have doubts every once in a while. But if those nag and nag and nag at you and you can't get rid of them, maybe the Holy Spirit of God is convincing you that you're not truly saved. 
But when you are saved, he'll give you that witness of the Spirit. And so he gives us assurance. Also, the Holy Spirit intercedes for the believer. Romans chapter 8, and I don't know if you've noticed, but Romans 8 is a rich chapter. Many things said there uh, in Romans 8 about the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, verse 26, it says this, Likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. In other words, something like this. You're facing a decision and you don't know what to do. You don't know what's best. You don't know what God wants you to do. And what you do is just cry out to God and say, God, I don't know. I don't know. And the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you knows. He knows what the will of God is. He knows you because he lives inside of you. And he makes intercessions for us. And he says to the Father, Father, this is what he needs. And there's that conversation in the Trinity. And the Holy Spirit... um, intercedes for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. We don't understand it all, but the Lord does that for us because he understands what the will of God is. So don't be flustered because you don't know, but be encouraged by the fact if you know Jesus, he lives inside of you and he knows. He knows what's best, and you can call out to him, and he'll intercede for you. Our intercession some says, says, Lord, I need this, or I need to do this, Or, Lord, would you provide this? And we know what our needs are, and we just tell God about it. And God tells us that. Cast all your care on him. He cares for you. But sometimes we don't know. And the Spirit of God intercedes for us. That's the privilege of the believer. He also produces fruit in the believer. Galatians chapter 5 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. If I meet a person who's all the time sour and grumpy and they can't find anything good but they can always find the bad and they're just they're not gentle people they're not loving people and yet they say i'm a christian i have a right to think my own mindset i'm not so sure about that the lord says by their fruits you shall know them what fruits by the fruit of the spirit and who produces that fruit who makes the christian a person with joy, even though they might not be able to explain it with all the bad things that are happening? Who makes the Christian a person with peace when all things are happening around them? It's a storm, and yet they have peace in the midst of the storm. Who makes a person long-suffering and can put up with people when a lot of people just write them off, but they're long-suffering to those people and loving to those people? Who makes a person meek? and uh, exercises temperance and self-control and all of that. Who does that? It's the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. And so God will make you to be more like Jesus if you listen to the one inside of you who is like Jesus because he is God. And the Lord says that he will work in your heart and accomplish that, and he'll intercede for you. And he'll give you the fruits of the Spirit and you give those, those fruits to make, you know, to show to other people. And, you know, if you have a church, we've got a lot of people in the church, and they're all living for Jesus, and the Lord, they're letting the Lord use, bless them in the use of their spiritual gift, encouraging one another and helping one another and just being a part of the body. And they're loving and they're joyful and they're peaceful. I'll tell you, you'll have a good congregation 
of people who properly represent Jesus Christ. But then there's a final work of the Holy Spirit, and that's in the future. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 11. I haven't had you turn to many verses, but let's look at this. Romans 8, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, and he does, (laughs) he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. He's not saying quicken your your heart and your life, you know, make you born again, make you a new creature. He's talking about your physical bodies, your mortal bodies. And the Holy Spirit of God has something special in that future thing that's coming for us, and that is we are going to be made like Jesus, and we're going to have a brand new body, a glorified body. The Holy Spirit has a part in that ministry, and that's a wonderful thing uh, to look forward to. Verse 23 says, And not only they... But ourselves also, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body. I've heard a lot of groanings from people. You know, they say, this hurts, this hurts, that hurts. As somebody said, you don't, there's certain people you don't want to ask them how they're doing because they'll give you an organs recital. You know, my heart hurts, my liver hurts, my pancreas hurts, my, you know, they go through all the organs. And I mean that in the right way, but... We do have problems, don't we? But sometimes people are so burdened with all their problems, they just long for that brand new body. And some of you are there. You long for that brand new body. And you groan within yourself, waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body, a brand new body. The Holy Spirit of God has a definite part to play in that. Just as they had a part to play in the resurrection of Jesus, he has a part to play in that. And so the Lord wants us to understand as believers, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. And so as a believer today, I want to ask you, are you yielding to the Spirit who lives inside of you? If you're a grumpy, fault-finding Christian, is the Holy Spirit making you that way? Are you resisting Him? Yield to Him and help help Him, let Him make you a person of joy and peace and long-suffering and gentleness and goodness and meekness. Let him do that for you. But then if you're not a believer, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'd like to close with some things I want to address to you. And that is, first of all, are you resisting the Holy Spirit who works in your heart? Maybe he's working right now. Are you resisting him? Are you saying no to him? That's dangerous. That's serious business. If so, are you missing... You need to understand, you're missing out on some some things. You're missing out on all the benefits that we've told that the Holy Spirit does for the Christian. You're missing out on becoming that brand new person that God makes you when uh, when He borns you into His family. You're made a new creature in Christ Jesus. You're missing out on that. You're still putting up with that old man, just the way you always were. You're missing out on being being sealed by the Holy Spirit of God. God putting his stamp of approval on you and saying, this one is mine. You're missing out on being indwelt by the Spirit of God, knowing that wherever you go, God goes with you because he lives inside of you. You're missing out on being controlled by God. Rather than being controlled by the flesh and the world, and they, they use you like a puppet and make you do things, and so many young people do that. You know, they'll get all these piercings and all the things that they do, and, and uh, you'll ask them, why will my friends like this? Or, you know, are, are we controlled by the Spirit of God? 
and older folks as well. We need to be controlled by the Spirit of God. So if you're not saved, you're missing out on the control of the Holy Spirit of God. You're missing out on the privilege of being led and guided by God. You're missing out on the privilege of having a spiritual gift that God gives you. Not a natural talent, but a spiritual gift. You're missing out on receiving comfort and strength in the times of trouble. You're missing out on having assurance. And if you're not saved, I know this is true of you. You, you, you wonder and you worry about, if I were to die tonight, where would I go? Good question. If you were to die right now, where would you go? If you're saved, you don't have to worry about that. I know that I'm absent from the body and present with the Lord if I die. And so if you don't know Jesus, you have to understand that. You're missing out on that wonderful assurance that you know Jesus. You're missing out on the privilege of having somebody intercede for you who knows everything. He knows what you, what you need when you don't know what you need. And he prays to the Father for that. You're missing out on someone who will give who produce a new spiritual fruits that maybe you, you see in other people and you wish you were that way, but you just can't be that way. And you're missing out on that, but you could have that if you'd only receive Christ as your Savior. And you're missing out on the fact that someday you can know you're going to heaven and you're going to have a brand new body. Isn't it bad to grow old and lose your ability to get around and do things? And realize the best is in the past. I'll never have that good again. If you're unsaved, that's the way it'll be. In fact, you'll go from getting older and and worse in health to eternity in hell. I mean, that's like jumping from the uh, frying pan into the fire. It'll get worse. But if you're a child of God, you know, even if this body breaks down, the best is yet to come. As I say many times to people, you are. Pro- I was visiting one of our older ladies the other night, other day in her in her in her in her apartment. Sister Elaine Coffles, she's ninety-two, and I said, Elaine, you're approaching the ideal age, and she says, "What's that?" <laughs> she had forgotten because I've told her before. I said, "The ideal ideal age is forever young," <laughs> and the child of God has that to look forward to. One day we're going to be forever young. And the Holy Spirit of God has a part in that, making that brand new body, giving us that glorified body that will live for eternity with him. I want to close by saying this. If God's Holy Spirit is working in your heart, as a Christian, maybe convicting you that you're not yielding to him, or as an unsaved person, convicting you that you need Christ as your Savior, today would be a wonderful day to get saved. Today would be a wonderful day as an unsaved person to say, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit to you. I truly believe in Jesus. I love him for what he did for me. I know he died for my sins. He rose from the grave, and I want him as my Savior, and I want to live for you. If you'll do that today, you can have all those blessings of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for instructing us from your word. And Lord, I believe that everything we've taught today has been from the Word of God. And I just pray that you would help us to appreciate the Spirit of God that lives inside of each Christian. And then, Lord, that person who's not yet saved, I was there one time. I know what it's like. I pray that you'd bring them to the Savior today. Help them quit resisting and believe and trust Jesus as their Savior. 
We submit the, commit the invitation to you. Just have your will in each, each heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.